I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Would you stand and let's sing that one more time? Say it one more time. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Well, good morning, Piles Chapel. Welcome to the services this morning. For those tuning in online, uh, welcome as well. Uh, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. We are going to celebrate baptism today uh, with three people that have come to accept Jesus Christ. And, and just what a great way to start off the Christmas season with baptism. We're going to sing this one hymn, uh, and then they will come out, and we'll do the baptism, and we'll go from there. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Amen. You can be seated. Baptism service. Uh, this morning we have three people getting baptized, Cedar, uh, Madison, and Blake, and so I'm going to invite Cedar to come in first. A special moment for me as a dad and as a pastor to baptize Cedar. You know, there's nothing special about this water, about this
Blake, you're gonna have to do the squat because it's a little shallow. So, uh, and I ain't got, I ain't that strong. So, uh, Blake. No, uh, you can take a knee. Okay. Let's go ahead and take a knee. Yeah, that's that's there about the go. right size. This is how we're gonna keep it with Blake. Blake, I'm so uh, grateful for our conversation yesterday and how you've placed your hope and faith in Jesus. Do you believe that you're a sinner saved by grace? Yes, sir. Have you uh, trusted that Christ? is the one that saved your sins. Yes, sir. And have you placed your hope and faith in him? Yes, sir. And Blake, if you'll turn. Keep, just stay kneel. Y'all can stand up if you need to see him. <laughs> Blake, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in his likeness. Raised in the newness of life. <laughs> Let me pray for these uh, three individuals this morning. God, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. Uh, your saving grace on our lives. Today is just another demonstration of your activity here at Powell's Chapel. And we're grateful for that. I'm grateful for these three individuals, Cedar, Madison, and Blake, and how they've trusted uh, to serve you all the days of their life. And I pray that we as a church would come alongside them. And walk with them and nurture them and guide them and disciple them in the ways that you've taught us. So lead us, guide us, and now as we come into service, may we shout with joy and then come to your word that your word tr would transform us. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. And an amen to that. Right, what? As I got ready for the service this week and I talked to Todd, I thought, well, there's only one song that we could really sing to follow that up, and that would be Victory in Jesus. So will you join me in singing a Victory in Jesus? I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wrench like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and cause the blind to see and then i cried dear jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow jesus came and brought to me the victory, oh victory in Jesus.
Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory, and I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea about the angels singing and the old redemption story and some sweet day i'll sing up there the song of victory oh victory in jesus my savior forever he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me ere i knew him and all my love is due him he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood Amen and amen. At this time, our kids can be uh, dismissed to Children's Church. And if you would just stand and greet your neighbor.
So uh, the pastor had a little fall back there, so uh, we changed it up a little bit. So he's going to come out in a few minutes and preach. But let's go through a few announcements um, and while he's still changing clothes. So he just hurt his shins a little bit, but he'll be okay. Um, God's good. God will bring him through it. So uh, just a reminder, December 24th is, we call it Christ for Christmas. Uh, this is what we found. It says Christmas for Christ. Regardless, it's for a local mission. So Remember that and uh, prepare for that in your hearts for that. Uh, we do have a business meeting on the 6th of December, which is next Wednesday. Uh, it's important that everybody's here. We will discuss the budget uh, for 2024 and approve the budget. Uh, we will have a candlelight Christmas Eve service. Right now it looks like we're probably going to do it at 4 o'clock, uh, but we're still working on the time, so we'll announce that uh, in the upcoming weeks. And then a reminder, on the 27th of December and the 3rd of January, we will not have Wednesday night services. We'll take that off uh, for the holidays. And then December 10th is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, so be in prayer for that as well. And then for our children that same day, that Sunday morning, they will have their Christmas party uh, down in the fellowship hall at 9 a.m. on the 10th. And then we will have a church-wide fellowship on the 17th uh, at 4 p.m. coming up. Uh, so those are our announcements for today. Uh, let me pray for us real quick as Todd's getting uh, changed up, and then he'll be out here, here shortly. So. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you so much that we can be in your house this morning, Lord. Lord, we just pray for our pastor who has hurt himself. Uh, Lord, that you would just give him strength to get up here and deliver the message that you put on his heart today. Lord, I pray for those in our church that are sick, that need healing, those that have tests coming up and procedures. Lord, that you would just bless in all of that. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this Christmas season as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for us, and, and we celebrated that today for these baptisms. Lord, I just thank you for the many things that you do for Powell's Chapel. Lord, I thank you for the, the new faces that are here today and for visitors. Lord, that you would just bless them, Lord. And Lord, now just open our hearts as we go into the Word, that you would just uh, uh, give us the meaning that you have for us through Todd, that you would just speak through him in a mighty way, and that we would receive it 
to apply it to our lives as we go forward. We ask all this in your heavenly name. Amen. easy work that's not true 
like I'm busted up. I'm going to have to sit on this stool. So just full disclosure, I was trying to make up the steps. I guess I'm still learning how to get up the steps. Bashed my head. I don't know if you heard that back there. Bashed my head on the uh, top of the, uh, the doorway and then fell and scraped both my shins. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's an honest day's living. So it is hard being tall. That's true. But let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, jump into God's Word together. I am so grateful, God, for your goodness and kindness to us. I pray now, God, as we come to your Word, that you would open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears to hear from you, to see from you, and to receive from you. So lead us, guide us, continue to be our hope. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus, and all of God's people said, Amen. If you'll rise for the reading of God's Word this morning, we'll be in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through the following. This is the Word of the Lord. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. May we be blessed by the reading and now the teaching of God's holy word. I was thinking this Week. I know I said last week it was Advent, and then I realized halfway through the week, I'm like, oh, wait, Advent starts next week. So we will start our Advent series next week. This morning, I wanted to offer you something as we head into the Christmas season. I want to offer what does it look like for us to give the greatest gift to people? The greatest gift is our salvation. And in this passage, Jesus teaches four things to us. He's going to teach us the method. He's going to teach us our motivation. He's going to teach us the mission. And then he'll teach us the means. So we're going to look at that for us as we head into this Christmas season. How do we give away the greatest gift that any of us have? That is our salvation. That is what these three individuals this morning showed to us. They showed to us an outward sign of what God had done in their heart. Now that must motivate all of us. That ought to change all of us. All of us must have an excitement when we see people come into baptism and then raised in the newness of Christ. And that ought to move us to do something. And what it ought to move us to do is to take the gospel message to lost people. So I want to look at that this morning. I want to give us uh, an offer of hope. How do we do that in these next few weeks? And how do we do that in these next uh, few years and months ahead of us? So let's look first at Christ's method for us. His method comes out of verse 35. It says, one word, and Jesus went. Circle that in your Bible. See, the method to uh, Jesus is, I'm going to have to keep stretching because I can already feel my, uh, my knees like getting uh, stiff. So the method is that we are to go. So there has to be something in us that's moving us out of this building into the lives of other people. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, 28. He says, therefore, what? Go 
and make disciples. And as I was studying this passage and reading this passage and praying over this passage, it, it was a conviction to me, how often do I not go? How often do I, I wait for them to come to me? How often do I hope they will come and ask me questions? That is not what we see Jesus' method here. That's not what he's going to tell us to do. So are we moving outward from this building into the lives of lost people? We are to go. And then it says this, not only are we to go, but what are we to do when we go? He says he went throughout all the cities and villages doing one thing, teaching and proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom of God. So as we go, we are to do what? Teach and proclaim. That is the same word. Proclaim means I'm to herald the good news of Jesus. I want to know for us this morning, though, do we even know what we are to teach? Or are we stuck and I don't even know what to say? I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to teach. Well, Jesus, again, in Matthew chapter 28, says what? Go and do what? Teach them all that I've taught you. So now we have to ask the question to ourselves, what is Jesus teaching me? What is Jesus teaching you? Now, what th this does not mean is that you need to go be a scholar of God's word. You do not all need to get out and go check in the seminary, though that'd be amazing. But we ought to be having daily encounters with God through his word. Like God's word is still alive and active today. It ought to be teaching us something. I, I love what Jack is doing on Sunday nights. And, and I would encourage all of you to come back on Sunday evenings because all that we are doing is the most powerful thing we can do. We are reading God's word verse by verse, line by line, and then we're coming and saying, what did God tell you in his word? Like, what did God reveal to you? Now, again, it might not be theologically correct. It might not be what a seminary teacher would tell you. But the Holy Spirit is bringing something to your heart and mind that then we're coming together as a body and talking about. It is the most simplest thing that we can do is to engage God and then say to God, what is it that you want me to know? And he will bring it to fruition. These last few Sunday nights, I have learned so much from you. Now, again, if I were to grade you on what you're teaching me, you'd get a fat F. But it doesn't, we're not in a classroom setting. We're in, in this to say, what is God revealing to you? And so, therefore, then we go out and we show other people what God is showing to us. We would call that a testimony. And my great fear for us, our only testimony is the moment we came to know Jesus and nothing else in our life we can point back to and be like, this is what God is teaching me. And this ought to be a daily practice. It says in the word, he went out to all the villages and all the cities. That doesn't mean he went out one time. He was continually going out as what? He was spending time with the Lord and then spending time with the Lord, Jesus himself, went and taught other people what God had already taught him. So that is his method. It's for us to go and teach and proclaim. And then what are we to proclaim? Everything that God is teaching us is always going to come back to one thing, the gospel. 
He says he went out and he taught and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter 4, I believe. He went out and proclaimed what? Repentance of sins. For the kingdom of God is at hand. That is the gospel. These lost people need to know they are lost. The world does not let them know they're lost. The world lets them know they're found. It is our responsibility, it is our duty, it's our calling, and it's a command from God to let lost people know that they're lost. Most lost people don't know they're lost. Most lost people don't care that they're lost. They like being lost, if they're honest. But it's our responsibility by God to go and let them be called by God. So let us therefore go teach and preach the good news. Now catch the motivation of Jesus. Look at how Jesus did it. Because so often I think we can come and we can take the message, but if we don't take the message with these few words, then we're in real big trouble. It says this, and when he saw the crowd, the first thing is you must have eyes to see. Do we have eyes to see lost people? It's like that movie, Sixth Sense. I see dead people. Like that is what these men and women who are lost, they are dead people. Do we see them that way? How do we see people? And now he says, do we have eyes to see? Then it says what about them? He says, and he had what for them? Compassion. The very people that were going to nail him to the cross, the very people that are going to rip his beard out, the very people that were going to betray him, the very people, the list goes on. What did it say? When he saw them, he what? He had compassion for them. Now here's the cool part of that, that word compassion. It means to be moved within your bowels. Like in your intestines. You ever had that kind of like response to somebody? Like you have so much compassion, it stirs internally in you. It's that place that evokes tears within you. It's that place that like, you want to go do something about what you see. Jesus said, I saw them, and I saw them with compassion. How often do we see people, and we see them with another C, condemnation? Disdain. Like, lost people are going to act lost. It ought not to surprise us. Lost people are going to act like sinners. That ought not to surprise us. So what are we so surprised when sinners go do sinful things and we're like, man, what in the world? Jesus saw that and was like, man, I'm moved with compassion to do something about it. Like it's one thing to sit and judge someone. It's another thing to go enter their lives. And I've said it here all the time. Like, homosexuality is not okay. But we must have compassion towards the homosexual. Like, adultery is not okay, but we must have compassion to one, the one that had adultery. Not disdain, not disgust, not judgment, not condemnation, not pointing the finger, but have hands of care. And it says this, that he was moved with compassion. Because why? This is, these two words will show us how we are to have compassion for people. 
This is how Jesus saw lost people. He had compassion for them, but his eyes showed them, him two things. The two, two things were, they were, uh, har- well, three things. They were harassed, they were helpless, and they were sheep without a shepherd. Now let's look at those three words, and what do those three words mean? The first word harassed means this. They were torn apart. Like sin had torn them apart. Like Jesus had eyes to see spiritual things. And he looked at them with the compassion because he saw their internal world was ripped to shreds because of their sin. Though their outward manifestation looked to be A-OK, their inward heart was ripped to shreds. Would that not give us compassion if we saw someone torn to pieces lying on the ground? Remember what the good Samaritan did when he saw someone torn to shreds. He was moved with compassion and put that man that was torn to shreds on his own donkey and moved that man all the way to an inn and took care of him. And then made sure that when he left, someone else would take care of him. That's called compassion, but that's seeing, having eyes to see with compassion someone that's harassed. The next one is this. He was helpless. That word helpless means to be thrown away or discarded. Think about all the people throughout all the world who are downcasted, thrown away, tossed to the side. Maybe that was you. It certainly was me. Like nobody wanted me. Maybe that's how you felt thrown away, thrown to the side. You were harassed, and you were helpless. Anyone ever felt helpless before? And yet, somehow, in God's compassion for you, he gave somebody hands and feet to come near you. And then the last one is this. Not only were they harassed, not only were they helpless, but they were what? They were sheep without a shepherd. Remember what Psalm 23 says. We all have a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? He guides us. Like So for us, we have to have compassion. We look at lost people that they are without any direction. You ever been, I remember as a little kid, I was probably Cedars 8, eight or 9, and I went to an amusement park and got lost. Anyone ever been lost before? Like, like you get like paralyzed, terrified. And like you just wander around hoping for the best. Like you ever seen a lost child at a grocery store? Just like wandering up and down the aisles, calling out from his parents. Like that is what the imagery is that Jesus says. They are like little children that are lost with no direction and no help. Now, what do you do when you see a lost child? Like, you just oh, well, keep on going? Like, most of us get down on one knee and ask questions like, hey, where's your mom? Where's your dad? You need help. Like, let, let's go help you go get help because you're helpless and you're harassed and you can't get the help you need. You don't even know how to get the help you need. Like, I would hope to God if someone saw Cedar or Tennyson walking up and down Powell's Chapel, wandering around. Some One of y'all would stop and ask my man how he's doing. Like, I don't know. That's just, a, that's just a nine-year-old doing nine-year-olds do, getting lost. Good luck, bro. But how often do we do that with lost people? I know they're grown men and women. 
And I know we think they can find their way, but they cannot find their own way. They must have help from us. We must become the shepherd. We must then point them to the shepherd, but God's called us to be shepherds. Are we shepherds? And then he says this. Then he gives us the mission. He says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What's the harvest? Lost people. There's a lot of them is what he says. That's plain English. He says the harvest is full of lost people. So our mission is what? Lost people. What did Jesus say he came to do? Seek and save that which was lost. That is the whole reason that Jesus was obedient to the Father that came out of heaven to be here was to seek that which was lost. That's why he gave his life for us. So his mission is the harvest. And he's calling you, he's calling me, he's calling this church to be on his mission. And what is his mission? To seek and save that which is lost. But do we believe that mission? Are we convicted by that mission? Are we compelled by that mission? See, a mission ought to compel us. Again, I'm not a military dude. I'm grateful for all the military men and women in this church that have served. But man, a, a mission, when you talk to someone that's been put on mission, th there's nothing that gets in their way. Like, thank God, when we had 9-11, there was a lot of men and women that are like, man, sign me up for that. Like, man, sign me up to defend our freedom from that. And so they went on a mission, and nothing was going to get in their way. Nothing was going to stop them. But in our lives, as believers, as churchgoers, how often is the mission clear to us, and yet we're like, nah, somebody else will do it. That's the pastor's job. It is not my job to seek and save that which is lost by myself. My job as a pastor, I said it uh, once, I said it a thousand times, my job is to equip you, this is what Ephesians, Paul tells, tells us, I'm here to equip you to go do the mission. My mission is to equip. Now, my mission as a child of God is to be on mission with him to seek and save that which is lost. But as a pastor, my mission is onefold, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, as a believer, my work is to go and seek and save that which is lost. But if you're like, hey, let's go bring him to Todd. Todd can tell him, no, don't go bring him to me. Y'all go have a conversation with him. Go take this message to lost people. Do we believe that the harvest is plentiful and what else is true? The workers are few. This has so many ramifications for the church. Like this church, again, I'll say this graciously, I'll say this kindly. We ought not to have to have committees. I'm not saying we don't need committees for committees. I mean, we ought not to have a nominating committee to go find people to, to nominate to go be on a committee. Because, how come? Because all of us must be stirred like, man, there's a mission that we must do. So just, I'll sign up for anything. Clean the toilets, I got it. Vacuum, got it. Be with children, got it. 
like all of us, it's going to take all of God's people to be the church to reach lost people. The stat is 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's craziness. It should take 100% of God's people to do 100% of the work. So I don't care who you are, how old you are, God's given you a mission to be on mission with him to seek and save that which is lost. Let's do it here in the church. All of us need to be motivated. All of us ought to be on mission with God. Because how come? The harvest is plentiful. But what? The workers are few. My hope is that we would never have to say that here at Palace Chapel. The workers are few. My hope and prayer would be, man, we've got to turn people away that want to do help. Like, no, we got too many volunteers. That would be an amazing gift for me to ever get to say that. We've got too many helpers. It will take all of God's people to reach the world. And then the last one for me, probably out of all of them, has been the most convicting. And he says this in verse 39, or 38, excuse me. Therefore, because why? The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. He says, therefore, what? Pray earnestly to the Lord. Now, all of it has to start in one place. Prayer. Before we go, before we preach, before we proclaim, before we have compassion, before we have eyes to see, we must be a praying people. And we must be praying earnestly. That word earnestly means to plead or beg before God. Now, if you're a parent, you know what pleading and begging looks like, especially around Christmas time. True? Like I'm like, man, my man's got a list upon a list already. How do you make a list about a list? I, I want to know that from Cedar. Like, he's got a list about his list. Like, I'm like, man, he's begging and pleading for, like, Legos, for this, for that. I'm like, oh, give me a rest, man. But that is what Jesus is saying. Be naggy about it. Like, pull his coat about it. And I, for me, sitting and reading and studying this week, I'm like, I pray, but I'm not sure I pray earnestly. I'm not sure I'm in that posture of begging and pleading with the Lord. Like, I pray about it, but I don't, like, beg God about it. And what does he say? He says, what is our prayer to be? We are to pray to who? The Lord of the harvest. To send out labors into the harvest. So he's not asking us to pray about even what we are to say. He's not even asking us to pray about where we are to go. He's saying our prayer around the mission is, God, I pray that you would send people. Now remember what happened to Isaiah when he began to plead in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said this, oh, send me, I'll go. See, my prayer isn't about sending you. My prayer ought to be, oh, God, send me. But how often do I pray, oh, God, send them? Send him, send her. The prayer ought to be, God, where do you want me to go? Send me to those people. Send me to him. Send me to her. This is not in my notes, 
But in studying this passage, I want to give you a great hope and promise from the rest of the text. Go to chapter 10. We can do this all. We can have the method. We can have the motivation. We can have the, the mission and the means based on one word. And he called to him his 12 disciples. And what? He gave them authority. We have the mission because of God's authority in your life. When the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, gives us a mission with his stamp of approval and authority, here's what we know to be true. When God approves something and God gives an authority to do something, it will be accomplished. Like It's not like, man, oh, I'm going to go to the harvest and it may or may not get done. No, if we are obedient to the call because of the authority of God on our lives, when we go out with the mission of God, there will be people that are saved. Not maybe, not if, not, I don't know how many. But I know because of the authority of Christ in you, the authority of Christ in me, when he sends us with the, the method to go, when he sends us with the motivation of compassion because they're har- harassed and helpless and a, a sheep without a shepherd, and we get on board with his mission, and we have the means of prayer, with that stamp of authority and approval, it will happen. We will see revival. My hope and prayer is this Christmas that we're taking the greatest gift to lost people. Like, let us take the gospel message and hand it to people who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and let us guide them to the one who is the great shepherd. Let me pray for us. God, I'm grateful for your